Welcome to the Point Church Teaching Podcast. I'm Corey Ickes, one of the pastors here at Point Church in Fort Liberty. We seek to exalt Jesus and equip the saints through expositional preaching and teaching. I hope you're encouraged and uplifted from this week's teaching. Morning. So uh, I'm Barry, one of the pastors here. Super honored to be here with you today. Super glad you're here. And I really feel like the Lord has a word for us. We are actually stepping out for one week out of our Romans sermon series. Romans 9 starts, if you know anything about Romans, that chapter 9 is kind of like another section, one of the last two kind of large, important sections. And so uh, we're kind of gearing up for that. And so today we're actually going to talk about the topic of prayer. Uh, It's kind of the theme for today out of Luke chapter 11. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 11. We're going to, just a minute, we're going to read through the first 13 verses of of Luke chapter 11. And as as we think about prayer, I want us to start by thinking about who you are. Who are you? What's your identity? What what, what is it that you, like, like who are you as a human before the Lord? That's the question that we have to answer. And that's really the question that Jesus answers when the disciples ask him, hey, teach us to pray. He starts by teaching them to pray about who they pray to and how that affects them and their identity. So we have a problem. We have a problem as we are in this world that we live. The problem is that fear and death and depression and sickness and hatred and anger and greed reign in the world that we live. Now, some of us need to understand this isn't a new problem. This is an age-old problem that has existed since mankind sinned and was cast out of the garden. And so we, we have this problem, and what that means is that we have to figure out, well, how do we live, and what is our identity in this world? For those of you who are followers of Jesus, For those of you who have placed your faith in Christ, the Bible teaches that you are justified, you are counted right before God, and you enter into an ongoing union relationship with God that's built on a foundation. The foundation of God revealing Himself to us through His Word, and a foundation of communion, union, connection, and that takes place primarily through prayer. And so one of the reasons that the church in America is so kind of weak, if you will, is because we're weak in prayer. And so one of the reasons that we, you know, like, like we're gathering a people in a gym, in a Y, you know, just north of Fort Bragg and, you know, in, in kind of southeast North Carolina, one of the reasons we choose to get together and pray is because there's really not much else we can do if we're going to be a people who find God's grace and walk in power. And that's our desire in our heart. And see, here's what's important to understand, because what we're going to do today is we're going to take a, we're going to venture into the book of Luke as one of the Gospels that teaches us about the life of Jesus. And we're going to see here how Jesus lived. Prior to Luke 11, as you lead up to that in the story of God and the story of Jesus, you see in the Gospel of Luke, It shows us that Jesus lived a different kind of life. In the pages leading up to Luke 11, we see that He healed the sick. 
He cared for children. He blessed and cared for the marginalized. He proclaimed judgment against those who rejected Him. Let's not forget that, right? He calms a storm. He teaches with authority. He sends out His followers in power. And He demonstrates His power over evil even by raising the dead. Like this guy was legitimately noticed, right? The God-man Jesus was noticed. And in the midst of this severely broken, messed up world where fear and death reigned, where, where difficulty happened, the power of God is tangible in the person of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever wonder? You ever wonder why people who claim to follow Jesus often don't live in a way that demonstrates life and power? Maybe a little bit more personal. Do you ever read the Bible and wonder why you don't experience the life and power of God in the same way as you see on the pages of Scripture? Even in our theology, we kind of argue it away. So, well, you know, it's different times, different place, right? And all that. But I think we have to ask ourselves the question. In Luke chapter 11, the, Jesus, the disciples walk up on Jesus as He's praying. And they ask Him a question. Lord, teach us to pray. They ask Him to teach them. Teach us to pray. And He teaches the disciples to pray. Now look, I think all of Scripture is God-breathed. I think all of it is important. But Luke chapter 11 is an important one that we have to dig into and to believe. And I just want you to know this this morning. I believe this for me. I believe this for you. You can experience the life and power of Jesus as you learn to pray out of your identity in Christ. I'll say that again. You can experience the life and power of Jesus as you learn to pray out of your identity in Jesus. I'm going to read Luke chapter 11. Verses 1 through 13. Follow with me. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, and he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You would just bow your heads and pray with me real quick. Father, You've spoken through Your Word. Lord, so through Your Spirit, give us Your Spirit. And through Your Spirit, teach us. 
so that we are not simply people who know your word, but we're doers of the word, and therefore people who pray and power and find life in Christ because you are our good Father and you are our King. In Jesus' name, amen. So before you are anything else in this world, you're a son or you're a daughter of the King. Look with me in verse 1 here, chapter 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. First thing I want you to see as we pray, as people of prayer, people who find life in Christ, is that you pray from your identity as sons and daughters of the King. Who do you pray to? You pray to God. God the Father and the King. And so what does that mean? That means that you're a son or a daughter as you pray. So you're positioned as a son or a daughter, and you are praying to your Father. This is the who. It's the who you are. It's the whose you are. Does that make sense? That's what I want you and I to know this morning is you are praying. He says, Father, hallowed be your name. The word is Abba. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a word that really is a, it's a personal word. It's not, this, it's, not a, it's not a formal word. It's a personal word that describes Father. In, in that culture, in that day, it would have been radical. It would have gotten some gasps from the religious crowd. They said, why is he talking to his, why is he talking to God that way? How could he do that? The Bible in the Old Testament didn't refer to the Father that many times. Okay, he was, he was seen as Lord, as Yahweh, as Elohim. And here he refers to him as Abba, Daddy, in some sense. In that culture, it was seen almost as like that was kind of putting God in a place that he didn't deserve. It's too close, too intimate, too near. Anybody have a relationship with their father with this kind of? That way, you have a name that you call your dad. Not a bad name, you know, but, but a good name, right? Like maybe it's daddy. I call my dad Pop. 79. I called him Pop for many, many years. My kids call him Pop. Like that's his name because I kind of started that, right? And man, I mean, my dad, he's a good man, godly man, walks with God. He's a servant, always been a servant. Even when he wasn't walking with God, he was a stand-up dude. Now he walks with Jesus closely, and he's, he's my pop, but, but I've gotten to share him with others. Um, my, my wife, her, her father died when she was six years old, and, and he's her pop too, right? And, and that's like this term when we call him that because of who he is and because of the history, there's an endearment, there's an intimacy, there's a closeness. He's just pop. Does that make sense? And see, I want you to know this this morning. Like some of you have tasted that, some of that sweetness on this earth. Some of you haven't. But I want you to know that you have a Father in heaven who's Daddy, who's Abba, who's good. You're His son. You're His daughter. And you just can, through the cross, because of what Jesus has done, you can go into the, the throne room and you can call Him Daddy. And He's near. Does that make sense? That's where it starts. That's the identity. That's who you are. Who you are is a son or a daughter of God. And that's where Jesus starts when He teaches them to pray. Pray Father. Pray Daddy. That's where He starts. That was radical to them. And I want you to know that that is good news. 
guy named J.I. Packer. He's a famous theologian. He's dead now. This is what he says. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. Maybe this is the first time you've thought about this in a long time. Maybe you've never thought about God being a father. Maybe for you, you've kind of you've, you, you, your, your relationship with dad is not so great. And so you really don't even really want to deal with that. But I just want you to know you've got a good father. He's there. He listens. It's good. It's good news. And that's, that's where you start. You've been adopted into the family. Thank you, bro. Yeah. Hey, 30-year-old me would have been fine, but athletically there. Uh, we're no longer orphans, but we're the privileged sons and daughters of the Creator keeps on going. He says, Father, hallowed be your name. As radical and kind of outrageous as the idea of dad and father in, the, in that day when Jesus spoke, this idea is radical and kind of out of, it seems out of place in our culture. Holy, honored, glorified is your name. We, we kind of like the idea of intimacy with God, but the idea that God is holy and above us and glorious and, and majestic, and, and, and we're, it's not about us, but it's about Him, that's kind of, it's, the roles have reversed. Do you see that through time? He says, holy is your name. In other words, the idea of cause your name as Father to be honored in my life and in this world that we live in. As Jesus journeyed closer to the moment when He would die on the cross, He says, Father, glorify your name. He teaches us as children of God. Pray that to your Father. God, you are honored. You are glorified. Father, you are king. Be honored and glorified in my life. Then he goes on and he says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. That's what we pray. We pray to Jesus, our Father and our King, the one who is over all. He's sovereign. He's ruler of the universe. And we pray, God, your kingdom come. Now, here's what I want you to know. Like, we, sometimes we pray that. Anybody prayed the Lord's Prayer like on a sports team and you prayed it real fast and nobody really even thought about what you were doing? You know what I'm talking about? Right? You know, and then I, I saw it happen the other night. My son's on a football team and they're praying it. And one of the coaches is fussing at them because they're not praying. And I'm thinking to myself, these kids don't know it. Right? They didn't grow up learning it. You know? And, and, and then they're trying to figure out, okay, well, do I say debtors or do I say tra trespasses? Right? You know, they're, they're all confused. But here's the idea. This is what's important. Jesus is the king. We're praying to our king. Not only is he father, not only is he to be glorified, but he's the king. He's the sovereign ruler of the universe. He's your king and he's my king. And so when we pray, we go to him and we go to him as father. He's intimate. See, here's what this means. You're a son and a daughter of the king, of the king of the universe. Like when you come to him, he's not poor. My kids come to me and it's like... <laughs> Sorry, like you, you've already spent your inheritance. Isn't, you know, we're in trouble here. But not our Father, not our King. He's generous. We'll see that in a minute. He's good. He's kind. He's glorious. That he, he's, he's all that the Bible says that He is. And so we go to our dad, and He's the King, and we say, God, Your kingdom come. And so here's what that means. That means, like, Lord, how You see things, that how you rule things, how things work, bring them into my life. And, and you begin here, bring them into my space. Point Church, we pray this together. Our Father, our King, we pray this 
into our space, Lord, into our lives, into our family. You rule and reign in every area. Lord, those dark places in my life that I've held back from your rule, would you come in and would you rule them? Does that make sense? You all got them. You know you do. I do too. Oh, Lord, that you would come and rule and reign. And yes, rule and reign over at the neighbor's house, but start here first. Rule and reign at the other political party's house, but, but start here first. Don't pretend that you don't need God's rule and reign in your life. That's what Jesus teaches us as He teaches us to pray. Let me ask you this question. What would it look like if God's kingdom broke into your life in a deeper way? What would it look like if the kingdom of God broke into the school you attend or the place that you work? <laughs> Some of you army guys are like, that would be great. But it can happen. It can happen. What if God's will broke into your neighborhood, into your neighbor's life? What if God's will broke in? The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus ushered it in. He is the king. He showed us what it looks like. And then you and I, we pray into that. Pray out of our identity and we pray into who Jesus is. And here's where it breaks down. We're way too self-reliant. We figure we got it figured out and we're pretty strong. The stronger you think you are, the less you pray and the more that it shows that you're your own God and that Jesus is not the sovereign ruler of your life. And I mean, I say that, you know, us. Not just you. The other thing is we pray like orphans sometimes, right? We pray, we pray like, hey, you know what? We really, you know, we got a father way out there somewhere, but he's really not intimate and near. And so we pray like we really don't have a dad. And it's, right? Our identity, our identity is not tied up in Christ. So is your daily functional identity that of a son or a daughter of the king? That's where we start to pray. You see that? Prayer isn't just, hey, I'm going to go through this rote idea of what prayer is. Prayer starts with who you are. And who you are, if you're a follower of Christ, is you are a child of the King. That's who you are. Some of you need to say that to yourself. You need to preach that to yourself this morning. Right? Like I'm a child of the King. It, doesn't make, it makes you special because of whose you are. It doesn't make you special because you've been good. Because the truth is, you and I know we haven't, but Christ has. And he's done all that needs to be done. So we learn to pray out of our identity. The next thing I want you to see in verses 3 through 6, we learn to pray from our helplessness, from your helplessness, like a son or a daughter of the king. And he, named, he shows us three areas of life that we're helpless in. Number one, he says, give us each day our daily bread. Physical, right? And this idea here is like whatever you need. It could be physical, it could be spiritual, it could be emotional, whatever. It's like what you need. Lord, give me the bread that I need daily. Supply me, Lord. I need that. We come to Him humbly. How humble is it to come to God and say, God, I don't have anything on my own. I need you. Real quick, I'm going to ask this question a couple times in the next few minutes. What's the bread you need this morning? Right? the bread you need? What's something you need? Something you want? What's something you desire? What's something you're hungry for? What's something you've been scared to pray? Call on the Lord. Ask Him. In this time, you can pray while I preach. Like I, You can go back and watch it, right? Pray. Lord, provide that bread. Give us each day our daily bread. 
forgive us of our sins. Give us of our sins, right? We need God. We're helpless because of our sin. We need forgiveness. Every single one of us, all of us have fallen short of the mark of God. All of us have gone past God's plan for our lives, and we've not found our way back outside of Jesus. That's, and he's forgiven us, and he, and he prays this, and this is really cool. Six times in the New Testament, he prays, or, or, or the Bible says this. He prays, hey, forgive us of our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. Don't forget that, right? He's not just talking about this vertical relationship. He's talking about relationships. Have you forgiven others? Okay, I'm just going to, just for a second, I'm going to stop here, and I'm just going to say this is huge. Huge. Here's what we do. A couple things we do in this area of forgiveness is that we have bitterness and unforgiveness towards other people, and we, we have it for a couple reasons. One, because if I forgive them, then I've given them an out. I've given them freedom. Our culture does this, right? You can't forgive anybody because you forgive them. You said, okay, then what they've done is okay, and they can keep on doing it. That's not what forgiveness is. Ultimately, God's the judge. When you and I forgive someone horizontally, what we're doing is saying, Lord, I'm not holding this on them anymore. You're in charge. And Lord, if you want to bring judgment, that's your deal. And you, can, and you don't get to say, but bring judgment. You know what I mean? Let's say, let's say, but Lord, if you want to give grace, yours to give. You're the king and you've given me all grace. Forgive like you've forgiven me, Lord. If, if he forgives others like he forgives you, then man, that's powerful. Now look, I know some of you have been sinned against greatly. I know some of you, like, this is, this is hard stuff. And I would just, I would encourage you, find somebody to counsel you and walk you through that. Find someone to help you find. Because forgiveness is not saying what that person did is okay. That's not what God does to us. What he's doing is he's saying, hey, I'm going to bring life and I'm going to bring grace and I'm going to bring mercy and I'm going to wipe you clean. And he can do that in somebody else's life. Here's the other thing we do, y'all, with forgiveness. Is if there's somebody, especially if somebody's close to us or it seems kind of small, then they build up, right? And so maybe you have somebody in your house, maybe it's a kid, maybe it's a parent or whatever, and they sin against you, and you feel like it's over and over again, but you're really not sure. Are they sinning against me or are they not? And then you got this bitterness and anger that kind of reaches up, and it just kind of overwhelms you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right, only a few, right? But I just want you to know, like, like in every instance, forgive. Every, parents, it's okay to forgive your kids. Like, in, with Christ. Like, it's okay. You know, you don't, you don't have to think it's beneath you. It's not beneath you. If you get sinned against, you forgive. That's what God does in us. That's what we can do with one another. And so that forgiveness. And so, so Jesus teaches us to pray. He says, hey, pray. Ask for your daily bread. Pray. Forgive. Lord, thank you for forgiving me and as I forgive others. So you see, this is like a lifestyle. It's, like, it's not just this little simple prayer that you can just pray. Then, Lord, for, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil, Lord. Lead us not in temptation. Like, Lord, I can't walk in holiness on my own. So, Lord, I need your help. I need your leadership. Lead me well, Lord. Lead me in the paths that I should take. Lord, I'm looking to you. I'm looking to your word. I'm looking in the book of Proverbs. Like, I'm looking at everything I can look at. I'm walking with other people, and I'm doing everything I can, Lord, to walk with you, but lead me. Does that make sense? And when you do sin, you ask for forgiveness. You, yeah, you repent, you turn, and you allow God to lead you. But we, we, we pray for his good leadership. 
That's three things. Then Jesus goes into a parable really quick. The same idea for our helplessness. You see how helpless we are. And he said to him, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Okay, so let's go. We're going to go back to old, you know, we're going to go back to the Middle East in this little bitty small village. People lived in little bitty huts with their family. So you imagine a family of kids and parents laid out on the floor in their little cots. And then in the, in the night, with, there's, no, there's no electricity, right? All the candles have been blown out. There's a knock on the door, right? Like, what in the world? And then there's Fred, and he's like, hey, somebody's coming to visit, and I don't want to look like a chump, and so I need three loaves of bread. Notice he doesn't ask for one, he asks for three. I think that's really interesting, right? Not looking just to kind of get out. He wants to look good. He's like, don't, don't just help me, but really help me. Right? And the guy's like, I can't help you. Like, I'm, I'm in the bed. Like, like, I have to step over eight kids and, and I have to go get the bread and I got to get it. It's not going to happen tonight. And so Fred keeps on knocking. We're going to get to that persistence part in a minute. But I want you to know what he says here. This is super important. He says, A friend has lent me three loaves for I have a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing set before him. Do you see that? That's us with God. We have nothing. That's you in your life today as you walk with Jesus. You have nothing. On your own, in and of yourself, you have nothing. You are literally exhausted of all of your resources. Like, look, God give me bread. God forgive me. And God lead me not into temptation. Like, we're exhausted of our own resources and we need God. You see that? We pray out of our helplessness. Jesus has given us such wisdom here. We pray out of our helplessness. And he asked for three loaves, and I just want to give you a little taste. The commentators have said this. Why did he ask for three and not for one? One for his friend, right? One for himself, because it would look bad if his friend's eaten by himself, right? And then one for whoever else would show up, or one for tomorrow, one of the two, right? Like, like do you see the generosity? Do you see the generosity in Christ? It's like, hey, don't just ask for enough, but you ask, you ask and, and, and the trust that Jesus is generous, that he's good, that he's kind. Doesn't mean that you're going to get the car you're looking for all the time, but it does mean that he's going to provide for you in his way, in his time, and in his goodness. And I want you to know that this morning. The Lord's generous. See, here's the deal. We got this shame or embarrassment. Imagine that the guy doesn't go to his friend because he's embarrassed and he's like, hey, I don't want to look bad. He, he was okay looking bad in front of the whole village as long as he honored his friend. How about me and you? We more shameful in what we don't have and in, in, in our, our resources not having enough and being helpless that we actually don't come to God and ask? I think maybe that's the case. I think sometimes we're cynical in our culture, don't you think? In other words, do we really believe God can help handle it? Actually, I have more faith in what I can do to go drum it up than I do in God's ability to provide it or willingness, one, right? Anybody? If you're honest, be honest with yourself. It's important. Jesus is helping them be honest by teaching them to pray this way. Years ago, 
I've told this story before. Um, years ago, I lived in, in the state of Maine, and uh, new pastor, fired up, like ready to take on the world. This lady in our church had five children, single mom, and she needed somebody to blow her snow. I had a brand new snowblower. I thought it was a good one. It was a piece of junk, but anyway. Um, and so I'm like, hey, I will come to your house 530 in the morning. I will blow your snow Monday morning. Like, I'm fired. I'm ready to go. So anyway, so a buddy of mine who's a cop, he comes over, and he helps me throw it in the back of my truck, and I'm going over. He says, look, this thing's too heavy for you to pull out by yourself, so when you get out, you got to stand on the snowbank, and you got to pull it on out, right? Well, see, I mean, you know, in Maine, snowbank, you know, is like eight feet deep, right? So anyway, so I get out, kind of figure it out. I blow the snow, then I pull it back on the snowbank, get it back in the truck, and guess what happens? My buddy didn't factor in extra, like, 50 pounds or whatever between him and me, and so I sink to the bottom of that snowbank. I'm like here in the snowbank, fresh snow, and I'm stuck. This is back in flip phone days. I got a flip phone in the pocket. I can't even get to it. And I'm like, even if I could, I'm thinking to myself, I'm not calling my buddy. I'm not calling my other buddy. These are all like northern dudes. They already think I'm like a southern redneck idiot, you know? And I'm like, and I'm stuck in the snow. And I'm like, and so I, I made this conscious decision. I'm like, I'm just going to die here. Like, I refuse to invite anybody else. Like, after I'm dead, I don't even care what they think about me. Right? That was kind of like, I mean, it was just all. Then finally, like, I roll up on the thing, and I roll down the bank, and I throw. I was so mad by the time I threw the thing back in the back of the truck, and it all, it all worked out. Praise the Lord. But I think that's how some of us are with the Lord. Like, we get in this place, and we're like, we're, we're either shamed, we're stuck, or we're stubborn, we're obstinate, whatever, and we just aren't calling on the Lord. We don't trust Him. Does that make sense? He loves you, man. Ladies, he loves you. Call on him. Need him. You're needy. You're helpless. And yeah, you know what? Sometimes you're foolish. Sometimes you sin. Sometimes we fall short. But Lord, join, join the crowd. Like, 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 that's what a church is to be, is a people of God on a journey with God. Lady, she's 98. The Lord has used her and her husband and their ministry and, and my, my wife and I's life This is what she says. She says, every day we need to remember our inability to love God and others. Then we are driven to prayer, driven to knock at the door of Him who has everything we need. Right? God meets people in their neediness. He'll meet you. What bread do you need? Next thing. We learn to pray with persistent boldness. Look with me in verse 7. 8, 9, and he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, I cannot get up and give you anything, I tell you though, he will not get up or give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, shameless audacity, boldness, like this, this, this real sense of like, hey, I need this, I'm coming back, I'm not leaving, Anybody have like teenage children and that's how they are with you? Like they want something and it's like they ain't leaving you alone? Maybe they're not even teenagers yet, right? It's like this shameless audacity. Why? Well, number one is because, you know, sinners. But, but, but number, number two, but because they know that your dad or your mom and, they, and, and, and you love them, right? And they trust you. Like they don't really care what you think because they know you love them. Does that make sense? So that's this idea here. There's this sense of like shameless audacity. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And then he goes on and he says, hey, well, not a good father, God, 
give more, like bless more than one who is just a regular simple father? Yes, the answer is yes. This guy, he doesn't care about what the friend or anyone else thinks. He doesn't care about bothering him. He doesn't let up. He says, keep on asking, like keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open. Like, come on, keep on coming. You ever been that way with the Lord? Like, Lord, I'm here, and if I don't see an answer today, I'm coming back tomorrow. Right? You ever been there? Uh, anybody ever quit? Anybody ever give up? That's where you are right now. I'm just going to call you. Just keep on asking, keep on seeking. See, here's the thing. This is the trick. This is, this is the thing that Jesus wants you to see. What you really need is Him. See, the Lord puts you into places. He allows things in your life. Obstinate children that bring pain. Struggling marriages. Right? I mean, I could name, you know, bad jobs, um, meaningless jobs, uh, crazy neighbors, like you, you name it, like you can fill in the blank. All of those things bring you, they teach you to pray. They teach you to keep on coming back. Like that's how God moves and works. Some of the things that you're so fed up with and frustrated with in your life are God's grace in your life because He's teaching you to come back to Him because what you really need is Him and not just an answer to a quick prayer to make everything better and put a Band-Aid on your boo-boo. That makes sense? And so I just want you to know this morning that you can keep on coming back. I, I've told this story before too. I don't have but a few, right? John Marie, been in our home now. He's adopted, been in our home from Haiti. 10, 11 years now. When he first came home, he came from really rough circumstances, tough stuff. And he came into our home, pain, cold, you know, like craziness. There's a bedtime. There was no bedtime in the orphanage, like just a whole. And, and so there was a little bit of like anger and frustration. He was young, he was three, and just kind of craziness. And he was kind of mean. He even said some words at us that were like, whoa. I look him up in Haitian Creole, like, wow. I didn't know there was a cuss word for that, right? And uh, his brother, his brother Bryce is not here. He can he can still say him, but but anyway, in Creole. But uh, but I, but 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 we've forgotten all that. But but it was a tough time, tough time. And I remember I would I would grab that little guy at night and I'd get him to bed and he didn't want to go to bed and and he couldn't speak a word of English, but I would read to him out of the Jesus Storybook Bible, stories of God, right? And this one line stood out to me. It says it's about God. He says. Talking about the Father, he says, it's a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always, and forever love. And so I would look at John Marie, and I would say, buddy, I'm your daddy. I love you. And I'm always going to be your daddy as long as I live. And he couldn't understand a word I'm saying, right? But what the Lord did in my life is taught me about who he is that he's a good father, that he, he this unbreaking always and forever love. And, and so, so I have my son to thank for learning who God is as our father. He's not just my father, he's our father. Like together, corporately. And, and we can come. He calls us to come. And sometimes the most important thing we do is to get into hard places 
And, 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 and look, as a church, we get into hard places together. Like, we, we don't let people go hard places on their own. We rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, we're sorrow with those who are sorrowful. But, but at the same time, we go to God together over, and that's one of the reasons we gather to pray. Somebody's here today, and the truth of the matter is, you know you need to be there. You don't want to be there, right? Right? You don't want to be there, but you need to be there. Call on the Lord. Our shameless audacity is a response to who God is. He's a God who loves with a covenant love. His love is steadfast. Last thing. Learn to pray expectantly. Pray out of our identity. Pray out of our helplessness. We pray persistently. We've learned to pray expectantly for the Spirit. Notice, notice this. This is really like pretty crazy. Look at me in verse 11. What father among you, if he asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Anybody read that and go, what in the world is he talking about? Right? Let's go back to Luke 10, 19. I, I'll start in 18. It says, and he said, I saw Satan fall, out of, uh, fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. So scorpions and serpents, they represent evil. They represent the damage that our enemy does through the evil in this world, right? The sting and the poison, right? And then in Christ, in our identity, we overcome that. We, we become those who walk through that. And so Jesus is saying, hey, when you ask, when you keep on coming, I'm not going to give you serpents. I'm not going to give you scorpions. I'm going to give you good gifts. I'm going to actually give you the best gift. Look at what he says in verse uh, uh, 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I just want you to I want to trace back to the very beginning. God the Father, right? He's King. He's sovereign. He's ruler. We ask for the Lord to provide our daily bread. We ask for Him to uh, give us forgiveness. We ask for Him to, uh, to, to lead us, right? And through, uh, away from our trespasses. We ask Him to give us uh, a sense of our need. We ask Him to, to help us in our persistence. How does all of that happen? It happens through the gift of the Spirit of God in our lives. As the Holy Spirit lives in us and dwells in us, He leads us and we're able to walk in prayer in this way. That's what that's what's happening here. The Lord gives the good gift. And here's what I want you to know, and this is the proof. The proof is, is that Jesus took the sting and he took the poison on the cross and he proved himself as your king, as your Lord, as the one. He gave himself for you so that you might live, that you might breathe a life, live a life like he lived and pray the kind of prayer that he prayed. See, we don't pray the way that the Lord wants us to pray outside of the power of the Spirit that dwells in us as believers. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is given to all those who believe. But then he also tells us to ask him. So we also ask. So in the morning when you get up and you just, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Remind me of your grace. Lead me by the power of your Word, but by the power of your Spirit. Like, like I'm not alone, Lord. Anybody ever feel like you're alone in this life? Alone in this world? I know. 
Man, we all do at times. Crazy. That's the enemy's number one tactic is to isolate you out and make you feel like you're alone in this world. Make you feel like you got to pretend like you're strong because everybody else seems like they're strong. It's just not true. The Spirit fills us. Empowers us. We know that because Jesus took that thing, took that poison, died on the cross, he rose from the dead, he pours out his Spirit, he gives it to people like us, believers, who then follow, live lives of prayer based on the foundation of his word. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like to learn more about how you can be a part of what God is doing here at Point, connect with us at www.pointchurch.live. Thank you.